Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I hope all the moms are being spoiled this morning and just hope that everyone is showing their appreciation to their mothers for all that they have done and all that they they do and I know it's often underappreciated work that goes on behind the scenes from the moms and so this is a great day just to recognize that and show our appreciation for all that our mothers do for us. Now last week I started, I took a break from the series in Matthew and was starting to talk about the coronavirus and how it's been affecting us and it surrounds us in every aspect of our lives and so it is, it's having an effect on us. And so as I did that, um, it was mentioned that I sounded sad or down as I was talking about that. And I may have just come across that way um, after it was mentioned. My wife listened to my message and she's like, are you okay? <laughs> and yes, I'm okay. Um, so sorry if I sounded kind of down last week, but I was fine. It just came across sounding that way, really. So anyway, um, going on, I wasn't planning on continuing that, but as I started to write this week, uh, I just kind of carried on with those thoughts and they sort of kept flowing. And so today I'm going to carry on with that, just dealing with how we respond and how we can look to God for answers and for how we can deal with the feelings that we're experiencing. And so I'm just going to carry on with that as just a sort of a bunch of random verses and thoughts that have put together here. So I just trust that uh, God will use this um, to encourage us. And so starting off, uh, I'm just going to look at first. I'm going to look at a whole bunch of different verses. Um, I'll mention where they're found. If you want to make note or, or look them up as we go, that's up to you. And so, starting off, just to say, if you're feeling overwhelmed by all that's going on around us, that is an absolutely normal response. To what we're all experiencing. But, and this is the important point, um, and this is the point that I did try to get to last week um, as we looked at uh, Habakkuk and, and his response to the world or his world falling apart around him, is that we don't have to stay in that overwhelmed state. Um, it's a choice. We have to choose to look beyond our circumstances and, and look to our God. And so we don't need to stay in this overwhelmed state, even though that is the natural position that, that we take um, as we're looking at all that's going on around us. And verse Peter uh, 5 verse 7 tells us, first of all, that we should cast all our cares upon him, for he careth for you. And so sometimes we just need to remind ourselves who God is and who, and his care for us in all of these circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that he hasn't left us. He hasn't forgotten about us. 
he's there. He's carrying about every circumstance that we go through and that we can cast our care upon him because he cares for us. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 tells us not to be filled with worry or anxiety and to be full of care over the trials of this world, but to bring everything to God in prayer. And then the peace of God that passeth all understanding will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we put our cares on him and we go to God in prayer and express our needs and our cares and our worries to him, he will give us peace. We just have to be willing to give those things to God and to trust him with them. God is a God of comfort. And when we turn to him for strength, he's going to give it to us. We read in the Psalms, uh, we see the distress that David and the other writers are facing and how David gets overcome with the trials and troubles in life. And then he suddenly turns and he switches from the despair that he's facing in life. And he turns his eyes towards heaven and he starts to praise and trust God. Psalm 91 verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And that's the attitude that we need to take is that we need to recognize that God is our refuge. And no matter what our circumstances around us look like, God is a fortress. He, in him I will trust. He is a trustworthy God and he will take care. We look at Job, um, a great example to us in many ways. He wasn't perfect, but uh, many things that he, he said and did were right and true and a great example to us. Uh, we see he's lost absolutely everything in his life. Um, all his family, all except his wife, have all been killed. He's lost all of his possessions. And he himself now is sick. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, scraping the sores with a piece of broken pottery. And his wife tells him to curse God and die. His friends, certain that he's done something to deserve this, are criticizing and condemning him, trying to get out of him what it is that he's done to, against God, that God would do this to him. And in Job 13, verse 15, Job answers, and there's many back-and-forth conversations going on, but this is just one sentence that comes out of Job as he's responding to all these things. And he says this, Job 13, verse 15, says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This is just Job recognizing that God puts us through things. God allows things to happen in our lives. And even though it's overwhelming, it appears to be destroying me, maybe I am going to die from what's going on. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It's believing that God knows more than I do. God knows what's best for me. And that may be 
the end of my life. That may be a hard time in my life. It may be that I'm going to get sick. There's things going to happen in my life that God allows. And I need to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. God's trustworthy no matter what my circumstance is. And when we start to feel sorry for ourselves, when we get into that mindset, we can look in the Bible, we can read about the prophets of God and how they were treated. We can read about King David and how he was treated after being anointed king by Samuel. How King Saul sought after his life and how so many different people were critical of him and tried to destroy him. He suffered a lot of persecution through his life. And his answer was what we saw in Psalm 92, or sorry, Psalm 91, saying, God is my refuge, my fortress, and in him will I trust. We read about the apostles and how they were tortured and imprisoned for speaking the name of Jesus. We can look at church history and see the martyrs who were killed for their refusal to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. God never said that this life was going to be easy. Jesus never said that your problems were going to go away when you followed him. The apostles didn't preach about prosperity and happiness. But what the Bible does tell us is that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. That there are rewards in heaven when we suffer for Christ's sake. That we have a blessed hope as we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. That we may know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We can take comfort in these kinds of words, knowing that we have salvation in Christ. If you come to God expecting to have all your problems removed from your life, you've been lied to. You're following a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible never promises to take away your problems, but he does promise to bear your burdens. There's a difference between these two things. When Jesus bears your burdens, that doesn't mean that the burden no longer exists. The burden doesn't go away. It's still there. The problems are still there. We just stop carrying it ourselves. Meaning, as we face problems and difficulties and hardships, oppression and sickness and all the different manners of trials and tribulations that we face in life, we don't need to worry about what the outcome is going to be. We can trust God with the outcome of these things. We don't have to dread the, the results of our decisions or what other people are going to do or how things are going to turn out. We don't have to plan through every scenario of how we're going to respond or what might happen. We have a God that sees every situation. He knows every outcome. And there's nothing that happens 
that he doesn't allow to have happen. There is nothing that takes God by surprise. And as Romans 8, 28 assures us, there is nothing that does or can happen that God can't use to build us up, to strengthen us, and to use for our good. Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Notice that this isn't a universal proclamation that all things work together for good. This doesn't say that everything is going to turn out okay for everybody. But it is an assurance to us who love God to those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, who are called according to his purpose, that God is using everything that you go through in life to confirm, sorry, not to to conform us to his image, to make us stronger Christians, to prepare us for reaching the lost world, to serve God in helping others to give you the empathy and the strength that you need in your character to do God's work. God's using the things that go happen in your life for your good, for your service to him, so that you are a stronger person. I've thought about this comparison with that of a bodybuilder, uh, a weightlifter who, they lift weights, to the point that their body fails, to the point of exhaustion. They will choose a weight that they can lift, but not easily, and that they can only lift that weight a certain number of times. And if we, it, it varies, and there's lots of different theories out there, and I won't be perfect in the way I describe it, but if we pick a weight that we can only lift 10 times, we can do 10 reps, before we have muscle failure and we can't lift it anymore. They'll take a short break from that and then they'll repeat it a few minutes later, lifting until their body again fails, usually less reps the second time and they'll do it one or two more times again. And as they do this, they're actually doing damage to their muscles. um, The muscles required to lift that weight are being torn and broken. And then they'll take a break from that particular exercise for long enough for those muscles to start to recover, to repair the damage that was done. And then they'll repeat it a couple days later, gradually increasing the weight as they go and what happens is that as the muscles are actually damaged and torn and, and hurt by lifting until they fail, they then repair themselves by adding extra fiber and mass to the muscles, which increases the strength and size of the muscle. And that's the whole point of the bodybuilding and the exercise is to actually cause damage to the muscle so that when it repairs itself, it is actually strengthened. Without the injury, the muscle doesn't get strengthened and it doesn't grow.
Now, if we can understand this principle when it comes to our physical body and exercise, we know that if we don't exercise, our body becomes weak and frail and the muscles start to shrink and we become weak. <clears throat> so why would we think that it's any different in the, or the spiritual and emotional aspects of our, our body as well? If we're never getting pushed to our limits in those areas, how are we going to grow? It's in the difficulties that we face in life. All the little injuries that we endure along the way that strengthen us, they build us up, they make us stronger emotionally, spiritually. Both to be able to endure greater struggles and also to be able to help others who don't have enough strength of their own as they're facing similar trials to what we've gone through in our life. So if you're struggling through this current situation, whether it's the coronavirus pandemic or something else in your life, think of it like exercise. God is allowing this in your life to strengthen you. He's going to use this for good in you if you are one of his children. There's a passage in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read a, a section of it here, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read through there, and we'll just talk ab about this briefly. It says, Romans 12 verse 5, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer. Now this does continue on. I'm going to stop there for now. Um, just wanted to... I'm going to focus on verse 12 in a moment, but as I read through this, realizing that this passage really describes the Christian life and what our life should look like as a Christian and how God wants us to live. And so verse 5, um, and even the verses leading up to verse 5, are just describing the church, us, all the, the Christians in the world, as the body of Christ. And each one of us is a different part of that body, and together we make up the whole. And there's other passages in the Bible that talk about this, um, describing the church as a, a body and all the different members and the different roles that we have. And the way that we look at this and the way that we need to understand this is just that we all have different strengths. We 
we have different abilities from one another. And God wants us to use the abilities that he's given us, the strengths that he's given us for him to reach other people, to reach lost people for Christ. And we don't all do that in the same way because we all have different strengths. So Paul continues writing and he describes some of those strengths. Uh, He starts in verse 6. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now I would maybe suggest that some of us have a greater gift of understanding biblical prophecy. And some people, their entire ministry is based on studying prophecy and looking at how the prophecies are being fulfilled and what has already been fulfilled and what's yet to come and and what some of that is going to look like. And so some people have that gift in that area and that's their area that they study and they minister through that gift. Others, as we continue looking, says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. And some of us just have a gift of ministering to others, taking care of other people's needs. And we need to do that. If that's our gift, God wants us to use that for him. It says, he that teacheth on teaching. Some people have a ability to teach and study and be able to express that eloquently or in a way that other people can understand. And so if you have that ability, you should be doing that for God, not just for the world. He that exhorteth on exhortation. And there's an area that a lot of us are very weak on in being able to confront other people with what needs to be said to them, whether it's an area where they're in error or an area where they need to to do something more. But to be able to say that in a way that actually encourages the person to do the thing instead of just being a discouragement to them, there's a gift. And so some people have that and can use that. And so it just just carries on with these different areas of gifting that people have and the strengths that each one of us has and just encouraging us to use that gift, whatever it is, for God. And as we carry on through here, it gets into the verse 9. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. And just looking at our world right now and the current situation and thinking about being kind and one of the things is uh, our article that I'm, I read pretty regular on, on preaching and just ministry related things and the topic comes up with the wearing of face masks and many of us have very differing opinions on the effectiveness or the need for wearing a face mask when we go out in public and when we go to the grocery store or whatever it is that we're doing. And the idea that was expressed regards to this in being kind and preferring others above ourselves. And so for those of us who maybe think that the face mask is ridiculous or that it's not needed and 
it's not going to protect me or whatever, whatever the thought process is that you don't want to wear the mask is the point is, is that you should wear the mask because others would like you to wear the mask. Others are more comfortable when you're wearing a mask on the possibility that maybe you have the disease and that is protecting them from getting it from you if you're wearing that mask. And so things like this, these little things that we think sometimes are, are ridiculous or I don't want to do this and that kind of idea is that sometimes we should do these things for the sake of the other people and for their <laughs> comfort and their reassurance. And that's a way that we can show brotherly love. We can show the love of Christ in doing these things that accommodate other people's uh, fears. And so there are just different ways that we can serve people. Now, verse 12 is really the point here. It says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Rejoicing in hope. Uh, we talk about that quite a bit and referring to Titus and looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, of God. And just so the second coming of Christ is, is our hope that we have, that hope of eternal life that we have through Christ. We can rejoice in that regardless of our circumstances. And it's tied directly to this next phrase. It says, patient in tribulation. And this whole idea of tribulation and we are in a time of tribulation. There is a lot of tribulation in our world right now. It's maybe not the great tribulation, maybe not the end times seven years of tribulation that we're expecting to have happen at some point, but it's a time of tribulation. And it says to be patient. Patience in this time might look like not rushing for everything to get back to normal allowing our governments to ease this process slowly to try to limit the spread of the disease, um, if that's what's necessary. And so we need to be patient at this time. Even when we, some of us don't think that these things are necessary, sometimes we question um, the wisdom in our government and the decisions that they're making. But it says to be patient during this time. So regardless of what our opinions are and what we're looking forward to changing, we need to be patient and allowing these things to happen. And then it says continuing instant in prayer. And that's this realization that we don't have all the answers. We don't know what's going on in the world and what's going on behind the scenes and what might be taking place out there. And so this ties in with the patience and just trusting God with those things, uh, casting our cares on him. And so as we start to become overwhelmed by the fears and, and the different things going on and uh, the worry and stress of all this is causing, our inability, maybe even today, to be able to visit with our mother directly. Um, I know my wife and... Her sisters are missing the time that they have with their mother very much, and we would normally be all together at a family dinner today celebrating Mother's Day, and it's just not going to happen this year. And so we need to be patient with that. And as 
the stress of that starts to overwhelm us, we need to be instant in prayer, recognizing when these things start to affect us and when we're starting to get overwhelmed by these fears and stresses, that we can instantly turn to God, that we can do, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting our cares on him because he cares for us. This is our time that we can show our faith in Christ to our lost friends and family by being patient as we wait out this thing, by being instant in prayer and trusting in God and just not letting everything overwhelm us, but being able to um, adjust to the changes that are going on around us and waiting for our government to um, undo all these restrictions that have been placed on us so that we can get back to our normal lives. And so this is just an opportunity for us to grow, for God to use us to reach our friends and families. And so just keeping these things in mind, um, I'm going to close with that. And I just hope that this has been a blessing as we look at the scripture and the admonitions that it gives us in rejoicing in the hope of our future and being patient and trusting in Christ, continuing instant in prayer. So just again, encourage everybody to take time to read your Bible, to study what God has to say about how we're to live and how we're to respond to these kinds of things and the comfort that God provides for us the security that we have in him. So please just continue in prayer. Uh, Pray for each other within the church and pray for our government. Pray for wisdom for them to be able to make the decisions that they need to make. And pray that God would use this time to bring people's attention to him and to their need for him. I just trust that you'll all have a great week this week and I hope you join me again next week. Bye for now.